and welcome to CFCP's On Air. CFCP's On Air. The podcast looks at migrant and culturally diverse artists and how we can effectively showcase and further develop their talents. On Air also discusses what interculturalism and migration means in a global context and how arts and culture can help in breaking down and highlighting these intolerances. Welcome to this session of CFCP's On Air. In this session, we talk with artists Diviana Helena, Barbara O'Meara about rituals, colonialism and femininity. So I'd like to start really just picking up on a couple of points that were brought in last night and this idea of rituals and colonialism and where there's sort of like a, a juncture between the two, as you were saying, I think that tea and coffee were neither sort of native to Brazil and obviously tea and coffee are definitely not native to Ireland. Um, just using those, I guess, as an example, where do you see this connection between rituals, colonialism, um, and also native culture as well? Anybody? <laughs> Sorry? You want, will I talk? Yep, no problem. Um, yeah, so um, I was, uh, it, for that third video piece I did with the tea and coffee, I was just thinking about how I could bring um, women from Brazil and women from Ireland together in some sort of an artistic way, creative way, visual way, and... So I started thinking, because it was Nolag Naman, I started thinking about the, the cup of tea that the Irish mammy would make and women as nurturers in Ireland and women in servitude a lot of the time. Um, and then, so then I just started Googling about the coffee in Brazil and I talked to Diviana as well and uh, about women serving coffee. And then I did a lot of reading about how it was introduced, coffee to Brazil and tea to Ireland and the dates and the history of it. And uh, I took a lot of information and uh, I decided then just to do the ceremony to honour women because Nolignamon in Ireland was was sort of a traditional thing. I know we celebrate it now in a different way, but in the past it was a day off for women from, from their work. And really, as a child, I went to a farm on holidays and I saw the way the men would come in from the fields and the women would serve them and they would all be fed and they would leave and then the women would eat. And it was that sort of um, the way women are serving and nurturing and the drink ceremony then just seemed to evolve from that idea and that is the way I work actually I would do a lot of research and I'd be thinking all the time um, about whatever I'm working on 
maybe for two or three weeks and making notes and little ideas coming in. And then I would just go with the idea and the idea itself at the end when I do the piece of art might be quite simple, but there is a lot of sort of background research about it. So uh, that was really where that came from. And the fact that I had my great grandmother's um, enamel table um, where she would have sat with the family and she migrated from Northern Ireland after the Great War because my great grandfather was killed and she had two small children and she became a homeowner herself and set my grandmother up in business, which was very unusual at that time. Um, so there was all these thoughts about, you know, women, how strong they were. There was this idea that they served and nurtured, but they had such strength. And there was things like the craft where uh, women were so gifted with, you know, skills, but they weren't seen as as gifts. It was just, you know, it was probably they sewed, you know, pieces to make money, things like that. So I had the aprons, which were handmade, and a lot of the tea and coffee vessels were handmade and gifted to me. So uh, that was really the idea behind it. Diviana? So for me, I think nowadays, like to to talk about rituals is a kind of a way to, to keep our history alive. Because with the colonization, the Europe, European European colonization in Brazil, we lost uh, lots of things, and especially our language and lots of uh, uh, rituals and cultural elements that um, native culture had in the past. So unfortunately, there are so many things that we don't know about our native culture in Brazil, because in the past they didn't record, they didn't have a way to keep uh, some, yeah, some record about the culture. And, and for me, it's a kind of way to, uh, it's not like a, a resistance but and it's not exactly a political act, but there is something about this. Uh, and because I think especially nowadays, uh, um, we are living like a very busy life and the rituals, they are disappearing because we don't know how to do this. We don't have time to do this. And with our work, it was a very special way to, to look at this, to look at the rituals that um, I had, that, that, that my family was keeping. And at the same time to start to access the rituals, uh, the sacred rituals uh, from Brazil. But it's still a kind of a, it's still something that I need to go further because I am from the south of Brazil and from a big city and we don't have many information or access to those uh, traditions, unfortunately. Even if I am a Brazilian 
person, but it's really hard to to get information, to know and to leave those celebrations and to leave those rituals. And I think with our work and especially with my partnership with Barbara, it was very special how we could immerse ourselves in this uh, question because I don't feel that I have a kind of, I don't have an answer. I think I am with this, uh, with many questions and this work was helping me to, not exactly to answer those questions, but we start to look at them in a different way. And, and I really think that it's very important that we try to keep uh, at least some memory or some record or to express this in some way uh, to keep the, the not only the history but because the native people in Brazil they were they created so many things they have a kind of a very strong connection with nature and with the different elements of nature and I really think that it's very important to embrace this and to give value to this and I was trying this when during this project I was also trying this to keep our um, culture alive nowadays. Yeah, I mean, that brings yeah. in sort of two parts, really, isn't it, as well, from this idea of the cultural record, but also this idea of how do rituals relate to, say, an urban or a rural environment? I mean, you were saying you come from a city in the south of Brazil. Uh, myself, I come from a very small community in the UK, literally what, 50, 60 people. Uh, Barbara, um, you're in Bray, if I remember rightly. Yeah, I, I, I'm uh, Dublin. I'm Dublin bred and born, but uh, my family would have been country people. And they had a sort of a knowing about them, my father's family in particular, um, and like I was thinking about it when I was actually doing the ceremony, what did we drink before tea? So I have done um, Celtic studies uh, for the last 10 years. And uh, as part of the rituals there, we would drink different teas like hawthorn tea, nettle tea. And I would grow my own um, herbs and some people would call them weeds, nettles and that. And, uh, you know, I'd pick things and make tea. And when I went out to make this film, there was moss on the ground. And I remembered hearing about this, about women who lived in the Kirk, um, who were literally starving to death and would make tea out of moss, you know, moss soup. So, you know, I was picking that out of the snow. And, uh, you know, I was thinking about the resilience of women in particular, um, and just their, you know, their ability to adapt to very difficult uh, situations. Um, one of one of the tea caddies, I took a photograph of the, the lid of it, and it actually looked like a woman's breath. So it was like this nurturing again, this feeding, this, um, you know, caring, um, which they had no choice. I mean, there wasn't, a, you know, there wasn't the possibility of having a career in the past, really, for women. You know, you were set. What you were born into was, you know, the way you lived um, and the poverty, you know. Uh, so it was very emotional, actually, that piece. The, the ritual, you know, if I did it quite simply, but the energy around it and the power around 
uh, just even cutting the pieces out and thinking about the women in the apron. Um, and what in Brazil, what did they drink? It's just so interesting to think about this, that, you know, things that are introduced to us that we adapt to and um, to go back to our past and sort of honour um, what, you know, what was sort of natural to us. And Div- Diviana? Mm, I don't know if I really understand the question. It was about the like urban life and rural life. Yes, I mean, this idea of rituals, are they more, and that's really applicable, but are they more to do with a rural environment or an urban environment, do you think? Because you said you know, this, this idea of being in a city, are there as culturally important in an urban environment as say as opposed to a rural environment or do you think that's not necessarily important at all mm, interesting this question like what i can say it's something from my my personal experience because as i said last night brazil it's big it's really, really, really huge. I can't say anything about Brazil in general because like how people live in Curitiba, it's completely different in the way that people live in Salvador, Bahia, and it's completely different how people live in Amazonia. Uh, but in my personal experience, I can see that, for example, my grandmother, she, she, when my mom was sick, all the things that she did to do the treatment was like a, at home with some like rituals and, and with tea and with herbs. And, but at the same time, and, and in the city, it's different. Like my mom, sometimes she could make tea for me if I was like with a stomach ache or, and she could make tea, but she didn't do like the rituals, this more symbolic uh, away. Like my mom said at my grandmother, when, when she was, uh, when my mom was sick, uh, sometimes she could, because the, the oven, it wasn't electric, it was made of um, uh, like wood and fire. And then that uh, rest of the, the fire, she put on the ground and my mom needed to step on the top of this. And then my grandmother made a circle around my my mom when she was a kid. And then this part, this is part of one of the videos I started like making a circle around my, my feet. And, and my mom, she didn't uh, do this. But, and here it was more like, okay, if you are sick, let's go to the doctor. And like this, this, I think this is a little bit different. And I think how people think could be different at the same time, how people can access uh, different. Um, uh, yeah, it's a very interesting question <laughs> because, but nowadays at the same time, like uh, I have friends and especially women, um, they are trying to, to organize some events uh, in relation to sacred rituals, like yeah. to like uh, workshops or like meetings, and and it's a kind of a way to 
to understand like, okay, like how can we live this nowadays, even if we are in the city or in the countryside or in the south or in the north of Brazil, but how this can be also part of our everyday life. And... I, yeah. I think in Ireland it is being uh, revived, I think, in cities because in Dublin we have uh, the Festival of Light in the winter to for the winter solstice. And I think as, as Irish people are moving or people living in Ireland are moving away from the church, the organised religion, younger people are going back to uh, sort of study and research about um sort of Celtic uh, ceremonies and that. And so there's a lot of gatherings in Ireland. We have the Hill of Ishnock in the centre of Ireland where uh, President Michael D. Higgins came and lit the flame to mark uh, Biautana uh, in May about two years ago. And there was about three or 4,000 people there with their children. Um, so I think there's a huge revival in Ireland and uh, there are shamanic centres like Shlion Cree, where I studied. And um, there's a lot of interest from younger people, which is lovely because they, they weren't brought up maybe as much in the church or, you know, with school and church the way my generation would have been. So they're searching on, you know, for their own path. Writing my ancestry is writing peace. I go on a visit inside the world, writing traced with raw flesh on paper. The few stories I know are loose fragments of my mother's memory, kept for years in a trunk of traumas. The words from my mother's mouth told me the reason for the silent echo of her actions, and I was able to read what is written in her screams and suspicions. Arriving by ship from the other side of the ocean, leaving their country, language, roots, and land of origin. Planting trace of Italy and new dreams in Brazil. Great, great grandmother, great grandmother, grandmother, mother. Our genetic code binds us. I am the reverberation of someone I haven't even met. Sometimes I struggle to deviate from a generational trajectory of lamentation. Sometimes I struggle to rescue an invisible trust. In Portuguese, words have gender, but they have no sex. A human invention. She was expecting a boy. She thought it would be easier for a boy to defend himself against the risk of being a child. She grew up picking grapes investigating clues to put together the puzzle of what was going on around her. She became Teddy to protect herself. She knew that her younger sister had her childhood torn up forever. Born by natural childbirth at home, cured with tea and rituals, she made me tea when I had a stomachache or pain in my soul. When she was a child, she used to play with straw dolls until she got money from her work in the fields to buy her first plastic doll, walked in flip-flops or barefoot on the dry and wet ground, 
When she was coming home from school, she smelled the polenta that my grandmother prepared for lunch. My mother heard my grandmother's last breath. Today I listened to my grandmother through my mother. Stepping on the ground, planting steps. Fruits of a lighter tomorrow, not perfect. Make peace with the land to bury the pains of women before me. Not to hide, but to make that rest fertilizer for a life to come. Denying doesn't make it disappear. It doesn't make you forget. Generational memory integrated into the genetic code of our acts. There is no reason not to see, impossible to unsee. Mother, grandmother, great-grandmother. I would love if our past was with more beauty and poetry, but it is also made up of cruel grammar. I'm not able to narrate your stories in detail, even my own stories lips. There is no vocabulary for everything, even in Brazilian Portuguese. Grandmother, mother. Sometimes I want to dig an impossible fortress, and I dream that one day the world will be a safe place for our daughter, our son. A place created in us, unblocking love, passing it on to the next generations, embracing our subjectivity and bodies, freeing ideas from parasitic colonization. Mum, I learned that talking takes us further, writing too. I'm tired of flowering the real. There is no reason to decorate the pain. The truth comes back, finds the present again. I feel responsible for making a generational cut. For that, I use a pen. Breaking the chain of veiled violence. Cultivating desire in the womb, in the voice and in the cells. Perhaps this is the reason for my life. CFCP's On Air, the podcast that discusses what interculturalism and migration mean in the global context and how arts and culture can help in breaking down and highlighting these intolerances. Yeah, I mean, that's one thing that you, you sort of touched on there that's something quite interesting, I think, this idea of suppression um, and whether rituals are now becoming more culturally acceptable, even sort of societal acceptable, because we are moving away from this strong religious basis. And we're almost going back to this idea of paganism, if you want. Yeah. And whether this notion of suppression is something that's really informed the rituals and that's why we are losing them. But now we have an opportunity to maybe address that and to change that round. Um Diviana, do you find that sort of similar in Brazil as well? I mean, obviously you have a strong religious situation in Brazil. We have a strong or semi-strong religious now situation in Ireland. Um, the idea of maybe religions imposed by the, the, the colonials, if you like. Uh, this is a very delicate question, especially I think nowadays. Um, 
what I know, it's like the Catholicism started in Brazil with the colonization. Um, before, like native people, they had like a very different way of uh, living their spirituality. Um, and as I said, like uh, lots of connection, like with nature, like with rituals, with celebrations and the transition, like to to mark like different transitions in life. And it was something always very like a com um, like a community and to connect the community. And then the Catholicism, they they really invaded <laughs> and and nowadays it's how can i say we have like it's so diverse this like a uh, different religions different points of view different ways but what i can see if i look at the the politicians the the politic uh, many people they are <laughs> Oh my God, how can I say this in a way that to be more neutral? <laughs> um, there is one religion here that they are calling um, um, uh, Evangelicus. And they are growing in Brazil. Like they are creating more institutions and places and they have like a channel on tv and radio stations and and the politicians they are saying that they are like they are so here in brazil now it's a very difficult moment because people are mixing like politics with religion but at the same time there are like other people uh who are going more in this direction that we were saying before like there is like a no uh, specific religion but there is some they are looking for some way to live their spirit spirituality and yeah and here we have those and still we have i think lots of people who are like uh, catholics and they follow the tradition uh, even nowadays so yeah it's very diverse here in brazil but yeah but it's yeah it's a very 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 delicate question but it's very important at the same time barbara do you think it's quite so delicate in ireland now um possibly um, 15 years ago it might have been a different story yeah, well, I, I remember when my children were young, I sent them to a Steiner uh, preschool, which is very nature based. And it was quite different. And I remember somebody saying to me, are you, are you in a cult? Is that a cult? You know, and it was a little sort of a called Blackberry Lane, uh, beautiful little uh, Steiner preschool. So I think all the labels, they have to be very careful about labels. What I study uh, is Celtic shamanism, but shamanism isn't really a word in Irish. So we would have druids, pagans, you know, people who are interested in witchcraft. But I think um, if you go to the country and talk to farmers, you know, they're they're living this. They're living the seasons, honouring the land, to, you know, they're in touch with nature. So I think, um, and the Celtic shamanism that I study is not a religion. Anybody can do it. You don't, you know, any religion can join it. 
So it's just about tapping into nature and being in nature and tapping into energy. And and we wouldn't say dark energy, we say uh, light energy and heavy energy. And I think everybody has that intuition in them. You know, you get feelings from people or buildings, you get a sense of energy. And it's just about sort of maybe relearning that to go with our instincts and that and trust, you know, you know, you get feelings about something and you don't listen to them and you think, oh, I should have, you know, trusted myself. So I think um, like especially in the west of Ireland, you know, or, you know, southern Ireland um, where where the land is, you know, still farmed in the same ways, maybe um, that there is that knowing there and that um just a wisdom you know an ancient wisdom that that I think we all have we just need to tap into it and I think that maybe one positive about this whole global pandemic is that people are going back to nature you know they're swimming I live beside the sea and I was down at the sea at half six this morning and it was packed you know standing room only and uh, so I think that's beautiful that people are really they're slowing down because they have to in their work. You know, they're they're looking at different ways of working because they're working from home and they're spending more time out in nature. So that, that probably is the positive from, from this whole, you know, terrible year we've had. Yeah, I mean, it's it's definitely been an unusual year um, and hopefully, well, in some respects, hopefully we're seeing the end of it. But it is also uh, going to be interesting as to what happens next, I think, as to, to how we as a society move on, because definitely one thing that we've lost is this idea of connection and physical connection. Um, you see people almost... Uh, instinctively moving apart from people now rather than coming together and you know we are a very sort of um almost huggable society if you want yeah and we're, we're really missing this idea of physical contact um and it will be interesting to see how that comes through but that sort of leads me on i suppose to the idea with what you two were doing with the projects that you were almost doing remote projects at exactly the same time but in different locations um how was there any sort of mental connection if you like even if it was non-verbal that was between you or you were thinking that somebody is doing something almost exactly the same as I am um in relation to the project at a different location but at exactly the same time was that conscious thoughts in your minds or not I think for me, this was happening during the whole process. Um, I think, yeah, since the beginning when we had our first meeting that we knew that we were, that we would work together, I felt this uh, connection. And for me, the whole process, I, even if we weren't talking to each other, if we weren't sharing something immediately, but there was this, like something was happening and the work was moving through something that I can't really explain, to be honest. And, and I think... And I think another, just one thing to mention that it, when I was talking about like religions in Brazil, that there is like the, the, 
like candomblé and umbanda, for example, that it's very common in the north of Brazil, in the north east. Northwest, in the north of Brazil, and and this was uh, an Iemanjá. It's a, it was a inspiration for one of our piece. Um, so uh, when we were talking about the the spirituality in Brazil, I think it's important to mention the Candomblé and Umbanda because in one of our pieces, uh, it was a I was honoring Yemanja that she's a, a very important um, uh, being in our culture. And there is a strong connection with the sea and with the life and with the fertility. And I think it's, uh, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I, I feel the same, um, Daviana. I felt that when we started collaborating, that the connection was so strong and the ideas we had and we just got each other. And, you know, we had um, instantly we'd talk about maybe circles or something else and we just get it. We both felt, you know, oh, yeah, we, we know where we're going with this. So I think we had so many Zoom calls that by the time we actually came, to do the rituals, we were sort of freed up to do our own thing. It wasn't like, oh, will I do this? You know, is this is this the way Giviana's going to do it? It was sort of we had we had gone so deep in our you know chats and our research and our ideas that um, we sort of were very strong and clear about what we wanted to do. Um, and I think the Yamanja ceremony for me was amazing because I had never heard of her. And uh, Diviana, I said, is there somebody in Brazil that we could pick after the winter solstice? And it was for the 31st of uh, December, New Year's Eve. And when I Googled all the information, it was just mind blowing. Such a beautiful ceremony, which, as Giviana said, was brought over by African slaves 400 years ago to Brazil. And so, so very ancient sort of ceremony that has been adapted in Brazil. And um, and I was quite conscious about cultural, you know, appropriation that I wanted to be very careful about that. So I had done my Celtic ceremony. So it was honouring her, um, but like with that sensitivity in mind, um, but just so beautiful because... Uh, the Brazilian people wear white clothes and they get into the sea and they do their prayers, their little letters, which they float out to sea. And unfortunately, when I went down <laughs> to the sea, I had ideas to do all that. It was like a gale force wind. <laughs> so I could barely get, you know, the little um, uh, altar set up with her. But it, that was that was so um, empowering for me to learn about her and to do that ceremony um, yeah very interesting so I think that our synchronicity was was just sort of in us at that stage because we had done so much chatting on Zoom about our ideas hmm. 
what I mean, the idea of the three videos was that they came from a joint decision. Was there other choices that you were looking at as well? Um, no, I don't think so. I think we were very clear. We want we got our topic very quickly. We knew we were going to work with circles. Um, but the videos were longer. Like my videos were maybe eight minutes, but a lot of it couldn't be used. But we were quite to work about our female ancestors. We wanted to work with nature um, and we wanted to work with ritual. And we had a lot of discussion about that. Um, and so I think, yeah, it was sort of very, very flowing, the whole, the whole collaboration. And I think I said that yesterday, that the collaboration to me was, was as important as the art, really, that, that, that we had that such an amazing connection. We've never met, you know, and we didn't even know of each other before we came together for Centre for Creative Practices. So, and I think also that it's 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 something that's interesting. This idea of collaboration in a a, not, a physical respect, but in a non physical respect as well. Um, Barbara, just to really to to finish up here, we were talking to one of the previous participants on the New Voices series. Um, and again, this is actually not just to Barbara, but to Diviana as well. And this idea of activism and the role that art plays in activism, their standpoint was it was a very passive nature um, and they didn't necessarily consider themselves as activists. Uh, they wanted people to take the art that they were producing and to use it, but not actually their statement, if you like. Um, I think from reading bits about you, you're probably in a slightly different context that the art is there for people to see because it's making a statement. Um, how would you see activism in regards to the artistic nature? Um, yeah, I remember in college feeling that, well, I'm not really a political person. And somebody said to me, all art is political. So I think my activism started through working with community art. Um, and in the last five years, there were a lot of topics, um, in particular about women. There was the smear campaign scandal. There was the mother and child home, the tomb baby. So I did work on that. Um, so the tomb baby project, uh, it was a very simple idea for asking Irish women, women living in Ireland and abroad, actually, for that one, to knit a little baby blanket, uh, eight inches by eight inches at the time. And women, they were just absolutely, um, just totally empowered knitting and feeling that they had a say in what was going on, you know, uh, about the mother and child homes and because it was on the news a lot. The blanket ended up going to tomb and being carried onto the uh, site, which I wouldn't call a burial site, really. It's a pit and laid out by the survivors of Tomb and the families of the babies who are buried there. Now, when I started that project, I never thought that was going to happen. And the women who knitted the squares, many, many of them came down and they came on buses from all over the country. Uh, and everybody had a story about an aunt or a relative who'd been in a home or their father was born in a home. So that was... Um, 
that was very humbling. And the Sort Art Mirrors was the same. It was women doing artwork to, to write on the piece of art what they wanted to say about this scandal. Um, so it's just about, for me, it's about empowering other people to say, look, you do have a voice. Um, in this way, you know, you can make a piece of work that says it and it's a visual uh, normally with me. Um, so a lot of the time I've been very scared as well. I'm, I get these ideas and I think, oh, I couldn't do that. And then I think, oh, well, maybe I will do it anyway. So feel the fear and do it anyway. So my own, um, my own painting, like in my personal practice, is much more about... Um, it's about grief and the fragility of life and loss. And then I try to put healing into it. So my own artwork would probably be a lot more gentle. So what I teach to community is different. Um, and this is what I'm talking about, just going with your intuition and getting your idea as an artist and going, well, I'm going to run with this. I'm going to trust that this will work out. And usually they're small ideas that just evolve. I mean, looking back, if I had known some of the projects, were going to become as big as they did, you know, I probably would have been so scared I wouldn't have done them. And Diviana, from your perspective, um, how does activism appear in your performance pieces? Um, I think, um, I think especially in my words, and I don't think I really, as I said in one part of my my text, I don't have a flag. But at the same time, I think with my actions, I am showing something. And nowadays it's more clear that for me, it's very important that uh, we as a woman, women, we can really feel free and comfortable to express ourselves in our society. Because unfortunately in Brazil, it is still a kind of a very chauvinist culture. This I can generalize. <laughs> and I think for me, like to be a woman and to be an artist and a dancer and writer, it was always very challenging and in Brazil. And I think maybe just the just to do what I did, it's a kind of way to to express this because I don't yeah, I don't have a kind of a statement that all the time I'm saying. But at the same time, for me, for example, our body it's our poetry. And why not to to show this, why not to share this, why not to express this? And I think, unfortunately, many women in Brazil are still still repressing this for many different reasons. And I think, for me, this is what I would like to to express in my videos that we, as a women, we we can express ourselves we can create and we can uh, live our lives in the way that we uh, we feel like 
and that our desire is really alive and we can live this. That's great. Could I just say that I I actually thought when I saw Diviana's video that uh, they were so powerful in the way she presented her body that it it was so strong. And and what she just said there is such a strong message about, you know, being confident in yourself, uh, you know, as a woman. And I was thinking about that, like. A lot of people use a tool in their art, like a paintbrush or that. She used her body as the art and it was just so powerful, beautiful. Yeah, no, there's, there's something to be said, as you say. And it, it's it's a form that you know, is used, obviously, in performance art that maybe is missing in some sort of other forms of visual art. But um, I think that's a really nice point to, to finish on. And so Barbara Amira and Divina, Diviana, sorry, Helena, thank you very much indeed for your time this evening. And um, all the best with the future work.
That's all for this session of CFCPs on Air. A huge thanks to our guests today, Diviana Helena and Barbara O'Meara. And if you want to find out more information about the show, please contact on air at cfcp.ie. You're listening to CFCPs on Air, the podcast that looks at migrant and culture diverse artists and how we can effectively showcase and further develop their talents. 